So today we actually are going to conclude our summer in Psalms. Really excited to be able to share with you, and I'm really excited too. Next week we jump into a new series called All In, and I'm really fired up about that. But I'm especially excited today because we get to go through Psalm 139, and our elder team's going to come. Guys, come on up and join me up here on stage. We're going to walk through Psalm 139 with you today. We're calling this the God Who Knows Me, and Psalm 139 is such a beautiful a uh, psalm about how intimately God knows his children. And I thought, what better way for us to wrap up the series than for you to get to hear from our elder team, a group of men that I love very much. Uh, we're, we're good friends. I have incredible respect for them. And uh, we get to, uh, to, to do some cool stuff together, including be able to just kind of talk through Scripture together and, and share Share some teaching today. And so uh, as we go through each of these, by the way, if you don't know these guys, uh, their names are going to come up on the screen as they're doing their thing. So I would encourage you to get to know them. But I'm just going to start with Ron and let you jump us in here uh, to, to get started in Psalm 139, Ron. Very good. Thanks. Um, good to see you guys today and uh, so thankful that you're here with us. And uh, just want to say uh, how much we appreciate you praying for us as well. And uh, uh, there's a lot of things that go into being an elder. I never was before until I uh, came here and God called me to it. And uh, uh, sometimes it can be a heavy load, but it's a great calling, and we appreciate your prayers that you give to us constantly. So thank you so much. I'm going to start uh, with uh, verse 1. I'll be doing verses 1 through 6. You can follow along on the screen behind me. Psalm 139 starts with, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Just wanted to start and... Uh, Obviously, David has a very close relationship with God. It's obvious. And in fact, we know uh, that God calls David man after his own heart. And so we see that. We see David's heart as he wrote uh, this psalm. And uh, so with that great relationship, we think about uh, David didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it hadn't been given to us yet. And so uh, he could have easily been wrapped up in that time, as many people might have been, uh, with it being routine, being ritual, with the sacrifices, and um, maybe that relationship wasn't as close as what we have with the Holy Spirit being beside us and with us constantly, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. And so we see that in, in, that, uh, in those verses. Second thing we see is that God knows everything about us, but he knows when we sit, when we rise, when we wake up, when we go to bed, he knows when you leave the door in the morning to go out to work. He knows when you come back in in the evening. And so we can't escape his presence. We can't escape him knowing about us, his knowledge about us. And the next thing, uh, he knows, and this is where it really, uh, really spoke to me. This, these verses really spoke to me. He says that he knows our thoughts and our words before we act or speak. So think about that. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to say before we even act or before we even say a word. And uh, so I was thinking about all that. And yesterday, Vicki and I celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary. 
We were 10 years right. old when we got married, so um, I don't know how we pulled that off, but we did. But so when I was thinking about that, 39 years, that's a long time. That's a lot of uh, close times together. It's a close relationship. That's a lot of growing together and learning about each other. And, uh, but Vicki doesn't know the things that I'm thinking all the time. She doesn't know the words I'm going to say before I say those. She doesn't know sometimes when I get up or when I go to bed. Most times she does, but sometimes not. I just want to add in there, I'm glad for the not knowing all the thoughts. That's, that's yeah. a good thing on, on my end. Yeah, so exactly. That, yeah, that's probably it's a scary good. thing to think about. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, she doesn't know all those things. But God, the one who created me and knew me in my mother's womb, he knows all of those things about me. And then, so we go on a little bit more here, and I like this as well. He protects. Did you catch that? He protects. We talked about that he hems, hems him in. So I was thinking about that when I was a little kid. I can remember going to my grandparents. Loved going to my grandparents because many times I got to go by myself. I was the oldest grandson, so I got to go uh, a lot of times by myself. I can remember at nighttime they would come in the bedroom and uh, they would say a prayer over me and uh, then they would tuck me in. You know, how, I don't know if you remember that or that ever was a part of your life, how they tuck the blankets all underneath you and uh, so I can remember just the feeling of that the warmth and the security of that and the comfort of that and so I think that's what that feels like when uh, David's mentioning that that he feels that way about how God and his relationship with him that he knows that he protects them and then kind of to wrap it up in those verses uh, uh, David knows how much God knows about him and uh, that knowledge about him knowing about us can be both wonderful, but it can also be frightening. And so I just put here the wonderful because we know how much God loves us and wants our lives to line up with his. That's a wonderful thought to know that God wants to have a close relationship with us. He wants to know us. He knows us, and he wants us to know him as well. And it can also be frightening. And the frightening part is, is because we are laid open and exposed before him. Because he knows everything about us. Everything about us. And the last thing I wanted, just wanted to mention, uh, I would encourage you, if you're not a part of an accountability group or have somebody that you're accountable with, that you would do that. We meet uh, every other week, every month, and uh, we're accountable to each other. Sometimes we have to answer some pretty uh, difficult questions about each other, but we know that we're there for each other as well. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to lift each other up. We may spend some time in tears with each other, times of laughter together, and it's a close relationship, and we know that we can trust each other. But that's important. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, that's important. Awesome. Dave? Well, if we're going to ask going. Uh, difficult questions, James, what's with the sippy cup? It comes later. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know we were supposed to have props up here. It's, it's a security blanket. So uh, I'm going to read uh, Psalms 139, 7 through 12. So Ron's section describes the omniscience of God, where God is all-knowing. This next section describes the omnipresence of God, where God is everywhere. Um, so follow along as uh, I read Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This past uh, week, uh, Amy and I got to go on a little uh, national park tour. We went to Yellowstone, we went to see the Tetons and Jackson, and then we spent four days in Glacier. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, we actually got to go on the Going to the Sun Road. Uh, this is about a 50-mile stretch. It takes over two hours to drive this thing. Narrow road, two-lane road up around the mountains, up to see the glaciers. Absolutely amazing. We had praise music going on in the car, and, and we, just can, we could just feel God's presence as we were rounding mountains and seeing this majestic sight. Uh, it was the most vast thing you can ever imagine seeing. And I think that's what David was describing here when he was looking and saying, God's everywhere. Uh, and it's, sometimes it's easy to go up into nature and kind of feel like, you know, this getting close to God. But we need to realize that God's actually everywhere here. Uh, I read an interesting uh, uh, quote this week. It says, God's omnipresence should frighten the wicked, but it should console and comfort the righteous. So we should absolutely be comforted and consoled that God is everywhere. So, you know, the biggest trick, the biggest deceit of the enemy is to tell you you're alone, is to tell you that there's, you know, that there's no one else, that you're isolated. In fact, you know, coming out of COVID, that was real easy for people to feel isolated and alone. But this, this, this psalm should reassure you that God is everywhere and he's with you. So he's not far away. He's not a God that's way off in the distance. He's a God that's here. Verse 7, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, God's spirit, God, the, the Holy Spirit, it's an essential part of who God is. David didn't have this picture of the Trinity back then. He didn't have this picture of a triune God. So this had to be divine inspiration where he knew that God's spirit was important and that, and that the presence of that spirit was everywhere. David then describes going up to the heavens. God's there. Going down to the depths, God's there. He talks about the wings of dawn, and this is a picture of kind of the sunrise in the east, and when the sun um, kind of breaks over uh, the, the earth, you can, just an instant light going from east to west. And that's this picture of God's presence being everywhere. Um, then he describes how you can't hide from God even in the darkness. Even in the darkness, God is there. Think about this. Light exists, but darkness by itself doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. You can't create darkness. It's just simply where light isn't. John 1.5 says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. David is fully aware that he can't hide anything from God. He had some pretty severe sins in his life, but he also could grasp that he couldn't hide them from God. Even the things that we do in secret can't be hidden from God. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places? And then it says, Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Even God says, I'm everywhere. So that should comfort us. Even in our darkest times, God's there. Even in the most secret places that we have in our life, God is there. So take comfort in that as, as David did. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to be commenting on uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, before I read that, um, there is a philosophy called deism, which basically st states that God was some sort of cosmic watchmaker. 
He created all this, he wound it up, and then he stepped back. Let me tell you, nothing is further from the truth. Psalm 139 tells us that we have an intimate, personal God. He created each one of us for a relationship. I recall a couple of weeks ago that Blake uh, taught on uh, Psalm 8, which is one of my favorite psalms. Um, and, Kat, and I often recite that as Kathy and I go through hiking through the mountains, uh, much like Dave and Amy just recently did. Uh, and verse 3 from Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? This verse tells me, although seemingly unfathomable, that the God that created everything that is seen and unseen created us as well. Each one of us were individually created by him. We were knit together in our mother's womb. And I want to focus on the, that fact that each of us have been uniquely created. And so I'm going to share some passages of scripture that talks about that intimate relationship that we have. I'll start by reading Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That means th that before God even created everything that we are part of in this universe, he knew us. In his mind, he had already decided who we were and how he was going to create us and work through us. Verses 13 through 15 clearly states that each of us were handmade by God. We are not a product of evolution. Rather, each of us is a marvel of divine engineering. With 16 trillion cells, 100,000 miles of nerve fiber, 60,000 miles of blood vessels, not to mention joints, bones, and ligaments. Verse 16 tells me that he's involved in our daily lives. He goes before us. He is around us. He is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Christ, God makes a deposit of himself in us, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. There are eight billion people in this world, and not two of them are alike. Even so-called identical twins are unique. The 23rd Psalm refers to God as our personal shepherd who watches over us and cares for us. Jeremiah 29:11 says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future." Ephesians 1:5 says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. So not only did he create us and save us, he went a step further and adopted us into his family. 
And through this, we can call him Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term that means daddy. I can't think of anything more intimate and personal than to be able to call our Heavenly Father daddy. But that's exactly what we are able to do. Rick, can I say something real quick with, with that? Um, so when you say he adopted us into his, his family, that, that immediately brings back the, the journey that Amy and I took when we adopted Sophie. And it, it's so amazing because if you haven't had the opportunity to adopt a child or if you haven't been close to someone who has adopted a child, it's the strangest thing. So we adopted Sophie from China, and I remember walking into the, uh, I remember walking into the, the nursery, and, and the, the nurse put Sophie in our arms, and she was crying and upset, and you go, oh my goodness, what have we got herself into? A few minutes later, we gave her some food, and if you know Sophie, her love language is still food. And within a, a matter of minutes, she truly became our child. There was no difference between the two boys that we have, Ethan and Caleb, and Sophie. And the way I knew that is within the first couple of minutes, uh, we had the cereal that we gave her, and she stuck it in her mouth, and it was wet and gross, and then she took it out of her mouth and put it into my mouth. <laughs> and you know what? There wasn't even a, a flinch. It was, this was my baby, this was my child, and I love her. And when I heard you say that, that is so amazing to think that God has adopted us into his family. There's not one moment of hesitation. There, he, he loves us that much. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely a great point. It just shows how personal and intimate our God is. Um, yeah, he, he cares for us and watches over us. He wants to work through us. Uh, so each of us have a role in the body of Christ. And I, you haven't found your place, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, there's nothing greater than to be able to serve your, our Heavenly Father and to be worked, um, to be used by Him to accomplish His will. Amen. All right, I have the next section. Let's see if I can juggle all of my props. Can I hold something for you, James? There you go. Hold your sippy cup for you. Hold All right. sippy cup for me. You know, I think that it's, it's pretty amazing as, as we were up here and, and we were talking. This group is so in tune that even if you look at the color scheme, Blake and I were wearing darker colors. Rick <laughs> has the transition. And then we go over to the, stu the people with the, the blue shirts. I mean, we just did this. We didn't even think about it. It just happened because we're just that in tuned. All right, so I have verses 17 through 22. How precious uh, to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would, be, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and, adore, and abhor those who are rebellious against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So uh, we're going to start with the positivity. 
uh, because as I was reading my, my verses, it's almost like the, the, the first couple of verses flow really well into the Psalms, uh, into this Psalm. And then all of a sudden we take a, a turn and then Blake will say, we, we come back. So there was a, a couple of verse deviation. So uh, this is not because I'm thirsty. Uh, I don't know. My, my son Caleb is the youth intern this, this summer. And uh, I went into his room. I knew right where it was. He's 20 years old. <laughs> I knew right where this was because this has been in his room for 19 years. It's precious to him. It's special to him. We, uh, when he was uh, about one and a half, we took our first trip to the beach. And when we were at the beach, he said, Daddy, I want sand. And so, you know, we went and got the closest container we had, which was a sippy cup, and we filled it with sand, and we gave it to him. And he kept this as a reminder of his first trip to the beach. You know, his room has undergone a lot of changes in the last 20 years. You know, uh, when we started out, it was his bedding and everything was jungle print. And then it was superheroes. And if you go in there, it's, he has like a thousand pops. And, and, but the one constant that stayed was this, this uh, cup of sand. So I thought I would be really clever, and I went and I grabbed this cup of sand. I opened the lid, which probably hasn't been opened in 20 years, and I said, you know what? It says the love for us is greater than all of the grains of sand. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this, and I'm going to do an experiment. So I opened up the lid, and I'm not even going to get my finger wet. I'm just going to put my finger in the sand, and I'm going to braise it out and I'm going to count how many grains of sand came on my finger, and I would be able to, to show, have this really great illustration of, of the vastness of God's love for us. Well, what happened is I stuck my finger in there, and I started counting, and I got to about 300, and I was only halfway done. And I'm like, nope, that's too much. So, so I stopped the experiment, but, but I think the point remains true. Think about it. There's probably a billion grains of sand in this little cup. And the Bible tells us that God loves us more than the grains of sand in the whole world. That was just, that was just an illustration that I looked at and I thought that was amazing, the vastness of love that Christ has for us. Now, uh, looking at the, the last couple of verses, and I will go quickly, but... Uh, Verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. I think because God, uh, because David was a, a man after God's own heart, I think that he felt so passionately about, about God. He loved God so unconditionally that he took his humanness and put it on the world. You know, I think about that word hate. Uh, I don't know about your house, but in, in our house, when the boys would say, I hate this, we'd always pull them aside and say, do you really hate it? Don't you just strongly dislike it? You know, we wanted to have that, that, you know, we don't say hate. We don't want to hate people. 
David said, I hate them. I hate them because they hate you. And here's the amazing contrast. The same love that says I love you more than the grains of sand isn't just for the people who are God believers. It's for everyone. God doesn't have a provision that says, you know what, I'm going to love you if you love me back. And what that song that says, I love you because you first loved me? There isn't a provision in the Bible that says, hey, wait, I don't think that I'm going to love you until you loved me. God doesn't say that. God always reaches out to us first like a loving parent, like someone that cares for us and wants what's best for us. He's going to say, here, I love you. So I, I found that contrast very, uh, very comforting for me. Mm. Well, and then leading right from that, James, into the, the last couple of verses in the chapter, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a bold request there. What a bold prayer to say, search me, oh God. Yeah, I was thinking through last time uh, we went through the airport. I got pulled aside after going through that initial little, you know, put your arms in the air thing. And they said, we need to. Is it okay if we search you? And uh, I always wonder what would happen if you say no. But I, I did say yes. And, but, you know, they were polite about it and everything. But that's kind of uncomfortable, right? I mean, nobody really wants to be searched. And I was thinking... But it would be a whole different story if they were searching me and I knew there was something they were going to find that they shouldn't. Right? Then, can you imagine the panic of being searched, knowing that they're going to find something? Um, David, who wrote this psalm and prayed this prayer, like the rest of us, he had some junk that was going to get unsurfaced. And to pray a prayer like that, that, that's a pretty bold prayer because it is saying, know my heart. It made me think of Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, our hearts are not pure. And David would have known that, saying, search my heart. Not that he was going to find perfection in his heart, but he was opening himself to that. And sometimes we talk about people, we use this phrase to talk about individuals, say that person has a good heart, right? That's really a misnomer. We don't. What we have are sinful hearts that have turned away from God. And there are certain things from our perspective that we can do that we would say are good, but we really don't have good hearts. We have fallen sinful hearts. And so to pray a prayer like that, God, search my heart. There has to be an underlying confidence there that God is going to extend grace and forgiveness when he finds what he finds in the heart. And he knew that. And, and, and he, not only that, but he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What a great prayer, right? You ever pray that? Lord, know my, my anxious thought. If there's any kind of anxiety in me, Lord, test me in that and bring that to the surface. And then he just broadens it out and makes it just, you know, kind of as broad as possible. Verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, when we open ourselves to the searching of the Holy Spirit, there is going to be some, some junk that comes to the surface. God is going to find some things that aren't good. 
But my question for you, church family, is this. This God who knows us so well, knows us so intimately, as these men have talked about, loves us in spite of our sinfulness, but are you willing to be that open with God and that, that just a, a, to pray a prayer like that, Lord, search my heart? And I want to encourage us to do that, uh, knowing that in spite of the mess, in spite of the sin that is going to surface, that God is a God who has provided for that forgiveness and restoration. See, when David wrote this, of course, the cross hadn't happened yet. Jesus hadn't come to earth yet. But even from the very beginning, you go back to the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, God had a plan in place for forgiveness. And he had a a way for sins to be covered over. And then Jesus comes and becomes the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The only way we can pray a prayer like this with real confidence before God is by knowing that he forgives. That God has taken our sins away through Christ. That because of what Jesus did for us when he gave himself for us on the cross, he died to pay the penalty that you and I owe. And that's the God that we've been reading about in Psalm 139. That's the God who knows us. That's the God who loves us. That's the God, as it says here, who will lead me in the way everlasting. Once he does change our hearts and once he, he covers us with the blood of Christ, then he makes us into a new creation and he wants to lead us in this way everlasting. But I just want to close with this, this challenge to you, is to, to have the boldness to pray this prayer. Have the boldness to say, God, search me. I want to lay myself out because when we open ourselves up, when we begin to stop hiding, that's when we find that God does a work inside of us. So if you've been hiding from God, there are certain parts of your life or you feel like there are certain things that you've got to try to keep away from him. First of all, he's God. He knows everything anyway. We don't have to hide. We can bring those things to the surface knowing that God will forgive and that God will restore. So I want us to pray. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. But before I do that, I'm going to give you a couple of moments just to pray on your own this prayer of God. Would you test my heart? Would you know me? And maybe it's a great time to just open up and confess. Say, God, I've, I've been trying to push this aside. I've been trying to act like this isn't a thing, but it really is. And so just on our own, first of all, Let's just have a time where we can pray and present our true hearts unfiltered before God and receive the forgiveness that he has for us. So let's do that, and then I'll lead us into prayer after we've had a moment individually. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you know us more intimately than we could ever imagine. And you still love us anyway. And my prayer today, Lord, is that we would um, lay our hearts open before you. There would be no hiding that our sin would be, we would bring it to the surface. We would confess it. We would turn away from it. 
Lord, we would receive the grace and forgiveness that you offer. So thank you for being that God who is so intimately involved in our lives. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, we would be in serious trouble apart from what you have done for us. So today we rest in that and we tell you that we love you and we thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.